One of the biggest aha moments of my career was discovering that I wasn't actually in the food and beverage industry. I was in the inventory management business. And the easiest way to make more money wasn't one-off events or nightly specials. It was optimizing my seating inventory on peak. More butts in seats is more money today. And here's how you get it. Yelp for Restaurants guest manager waitlist functionality empowers your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave their house. It provides accurate wait times and automatically notifies diners right before their table is ready. This dramatically reduces turn times, enabling you to handle more volume. Learn more about how this powerful tool can optimize your seating inventory today at restaurants.yelp.com. Now here we go. I look at everything. I've only started getting in the NFL. I think there's one of those coaches, Bill Walsh or something. He says that the score takes care of itself. And that's sort of my outlook on awards and external recognition. If you have a tight plan, you have a great team, the bus is filled with right people in the right seats doing the right things. You're focused on the customer. You've got a differentiated product and you love what you're doing. I think all of that other stuff will come, the revenue number that you've got in your mind or the profit number. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Jack McGarry has achieved the accolades most of us dream of. He was awarded the best bartender in the world. In his New York bar, the Dead Rabbit was awarded the distinction of best bar in the world. But that's not the end of Jack's story. Since making it to the top, Jack has redefined excellence for himself through the lens of bar ownership. And he spent the last several years working to become the best bar owner he can be. Today we discuss what that looks like in theory and how it manifests itself in practical application. So in the industry, I'd say my mentors are both, they're all called Sean. Actually, there was three Seans. So when I first started, there was Sean Campbell, who was my cousin. So I was a Napo baby, as you guys call him in America. I was hired to be a glass washer and cleaning ice trays when the smoking ban wasn't in effect. Oh God, 15, no, be longer than that, 18 years ago. So I started with him and those early lessons were literally work hard, be loyal, don't steal, like very, very, uh, what you would call obvious learnings, but are, they serve you well if you take heed of them. I then got the opportunity to, so I, I worked with my cousin for a while and then the opportunity came up to work in a, what we call in Belfast, a style bar, but it's basically a bar that is not technically a pub. It's like a nice bar even though pubs can be nice too but in belfast that's what you call them it's just basically an upscale joint and that was where i first came across cocktails and i became enamored with cocktails because i watched this bartender make a round of drinks for four guests and he had captivated the guests with the way that he was moving and when he served the drinks it was the delight on their faces just took my breath away and i was like that's what i wanted to do so that's when i came across the second mentor sean muldoon who ended up being a collaborator for close to 15 years and we opened the dead rabbit together and it was through him that i had the platform and the resources to become the win the world's best bartender and 
and for the bar to do really well. But I wasn't a being a great bartender does not mean that you are a great entrepreneur or a great business leader or any of that type of stuff. And that's where the last mentor kicks in, who is Sean Fenter, who is the founder of Bar Metrics. He runs a whole host of programs and that's he opened the door for me to see that side of the paradigm and that has just went on. I meet these mentors, I take what I need and then I crack on and really lean in. So I read aggressively, like 70 or 80 books a year. I've went back to school to do a business administration, a business management course and in the process not well starting to do my MBA. I don't know if I'll be able to have the time to do it, but that's on the cards now. But I'm constantly looking to improve and develop. And uh, Sean Finter is still a mentor to this day, but I'm constantly on the lookout for new mentors to challenge my thinking and help me see my blind spots. So mentorship is, for me, is one of the the single most important things that you can get in any industry, I, I would imagine. It's so interesting because I started by saying you're the best bartender, you run the best bar. These are objective metrics. These are awards that you've won, but you seem to have a very humble heart and a humble perspective when it comes to what you actually know. Did that occur naturally or is that a process of aging and being worn down by this industry? I don't know about being worn down, but definitely maturing. When I started out in the industry and particularly with the middle mentor or even probably the first two. When I first got into cocktails, my whole raison that was to be known as the world's best bartender. It wasn't Pamela Anderson on my on my wall. It was the bars who were the leading bartenders in the UK and Ireland at that point. And that's a very narcissistic, self-serving output, external thing that you need to validate your internal being. And it really was when the bar opened, the Dead Rabbit opened in three months into our opening, we won best new bar in America. We won world's best cocktail menu and I won world's best bartender. It was the youngest ever recipient of it still to this day. But I, as soon as my foot hit the last stair on the way down, I knew that that was going to fill. There was like a hole that I was trying to fill. And that sort of precipitated a, a slow march down for in terms of like a mental health crisis and an addiction and stuff like that. So it wasn't, a, so that was 2013, 14. I hit rock bottom like 2015, 2016, and that's when I fell out of love with bartending and I got out and sought help. My last drinking experience landed me in hospital and I got out and done a lot of work with therapists and all of that type of stuff. And, and I fell back in love with the industry and realized that I was in the industry because I loved hospitality. I loved being the best version of myself. I loved creating a culture for other people to thrive in. And that's really where... Sean Finter came into my life and my overall paradigm shifted from me to we. And that was a huge shift and a real like all that ego shit. Listen, we all have egos and we all struggle at the varying degrees at different points of our life. But as I said, it was a big shift from like focusing on myself and external recognition to focusing on other people in the bar and how to create a great company and then how I can be the best use to achieve that end. So I think through that is where I've learned develop my humility. I'm still an intensely ambitious, driven, motivated individual, but I know when to listen to people. I know when I'm wrong. I know when to say sorry. I know like there's all of these other things that I, other tools that I didn't have when I was first starting in the industry, you know. Let's talk about success because I think there's a very interesting dichotomy there because 
once you hit a certain revenue number, that's when you're going to be happy and successful. Once you achieve a certain accolade, that's really when the party starts and you're going to become successful and happy. It's this illusion. I can remember we had worked our butts off at the fine dining restaurant for like five years and Michelin wasn't even in California. So it was never even a consideration. Then they announced that they're coming. Then we get an email stating, oh, that we're being in consideration. And can you please collect all this material and bring it to us? And I had never thought about it before the day they had sent that email and it gnawed at me. Right. And then a month later, I'm still thinking about it. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it would be nice if we get it. And by the time they actually announced six months later, I was like, I'm going to die if we don't win. So your needs change based on this moving goalpost. And success is largely an illusion. So how do you define success today after achieving all of these amazing things and finding emptiness within it? Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't want to come across as preaching or saying that awards are not relevant or healthy or all of those things. It's all to do with your relationship to them. I look at everything like I've only started getting in the NFL. I think there's one of those coaches, Bill Walsh or something. He says that the score takes care of itself. And that's sort of my outlook on awards and external recognition. If you have a tight plan, you have a great team, the bus is filled with the right people in the right seats doing the right things, you're focused on the customer, you've got a differentiated product, and you love what you're doing, I think all of that other stuff will come, the revenue number that you've got in your mind or the profit number. Obviously, the end goals, you have to take those tentative steps to them, but it can't be the reason. I, I've heard these, like a lot of business people talk about profit as oxygen and Yes, it is. Like if you don't have profit in your business, your business will die, but you don't live. I'm not thinking right now I need to get oxygen and like it's it happens and it gives me the ability to do other things. So I think having that more like a more nuanced view on why you're doing what you're doing, like a real good understanding of that for the dead rabbit, the foundational why is to change the conversation around what an Irish pub is to educate consumers on what Irish culture is. It's not just defined by leprechauns and top of the morning to you and corned beef and cabbage. There's so much more beyond those sort of stereotypes. So I think everybody has to get in touch with that real deep why, you know, for that restaurant that you were running. I'm sure when you strip it all back, you love serving people amazing food and giving them, that's the why. The why is not Michelin. Michelin is a great, yeah, you're doing a great job. That's that's awesome. But I think people lose lose sight of that. They get carried away with things. So that's what I preach in, in the bar. So success to me is a journey. And it's the waking up every day and I'm pushing hard. It's the team, it's the goals, it's the it's like it's those day to day things. It's not those big triumphant moments or sad moments. I really try to make sure that I'm never so high or so low that I'm not taking the daily steps towards your goals where back in the day when I was hung, focused on those awards like yourself, I got sucked into that and the highs were incredible, but the lows were even more incredible, you know? So that's what I do. The journey for me is success. So you look at Dead Rabbit and it's this confluence of all these different things that I think is absolutely amazing. So you did win the award pretty quick after opening, would you say about yeah. 90 days? 
And you talk about, and it all makes sense, right? You had the right people and the right seats, the right operational infrastructure. You had all of this. This is really your first venture out the gate and not just a new market, but in a new country and in doing a new thing. Because if there's only one like universal truth as it relates to being a bar owner, it's that every bartender thinks they know what it's like to be a bar owner (laughs) (laughs) until the day you become a bar owner. And then you're like, holy shit, this is very, very different than what I thought it was going to be. So, yes, looking back, all of those things need to be in place in order for you to achieve the level of success that you did. But being young and inexperienced in an ownership capacity and in a new market, how did you build all of those things and put them together when I am certain that you were both time and cash strapped? So everybody thinks that Dead Rabbit was this like extremely well-run, slick operation when we opened. That is a complete fallacy. We hemorrhaged money for the first year because I didn't know how to cost drinks. I didn't know how to run inventory. My method of training people was have, or hiring people was speaking to them for 15 minutes. <laughs> and like this whole thing, I would go for a beer for this person. Thereby, you will be effective in our organization. When people were onboarded, they got this like mega manual of all of our, like all this. It was mental. When you look back now, it was absolutely mental. And even the awards that we won, when you look back and compare it to where we are as an operation now, because we have the right infrastructure in place, we have the right systems, we have everything's articulated. We're a very, very strong, robust organization now, but none of that happened. None of that happened back then. But I think the thing that led us to success was the fact that we were like doing 100 hour weeks. We were extremely passionate. We were all in, we weren't absentee and people around us could feel that, I suppose like that magnetism or, charisma or whatever you call that sort of thing that all these places have when they first open they first pop but a lot of these places when they first pop they die out because you're not that working in that sort of vein is not sustainable it's not sustainable to work 100 hour weeks it's not sustainable for the business to rely on one individual every business is perfectly designed for the results that it gets so in order for us to continue to be successful we had to change we had to grow or else we would have been another one of those figures in terms of it opened and closed in two years. It was this big, amazing success. So when we got to the end of the first year, that was when we started to see some of the cracks and like, we're not doing this right. We need to start changing. And that's when I realized like I need to move beyond bartending and fill these gaps in terms of operational gaps. And then that sort of coincided with like the identity crisis. I'm not a bartender anymore. Am I an operator? Am I an entrepreneur? And then that's what precipitated that part of the reason that precipitated the descent into addiction and mental health. But as soon as I got better, that's what I really focused on. I need to lean into the business to make sure that the business can grow or can sustain. It can be, it can grow, it can evolve. And that's really like, we've done that now for, for three or four years. And now we're on the precipice of actually growing, scaling the company. So that's really what we've tried to do. But to get back to your original question, we hadn't got a clue what we were doing when we first opened. We knew what the story was and what the strategy was in terms of where you position, what do you stand for, but all those nuts and bolts beneath the surface, which are critical to run an operation, we did not know. And but thankfully, we've moved uh, way, way past that. We're definitely much better there. But listen, you've always got room to, room to grow. So I'm constantly looking at how to be better and how do we grow and seeing what other people are. I'm constantly just looking to how do we improve because mediocrity petrifies me. There's this paradigm shift. And I think you bring it up in a really artful way. 
you're bartending, right? In the same way that like I'm expediting and someone else is doing this or doing that. You're constantly working in your business. So nobody's managing the actual business. There's no business owner. There's just cogs in this machine making sure that it doesn't burn down today. And then the paradigm shift happens. Mm -hmm. And you begin working as a restaurant owner, as a bar owner. And you're now doing 50, 60 hours a week just doing that role. And not often, but every now and then you take a beat and you look back on what you did that week and you're like, holy shit, how did nobody do any of this for three years? What I'm doing is the most important stuff. I mean, profit is oxygen. I mean, ownership is oxygen. Ownership duties are oxygen. You're setting the trajectory for the brand. You're building relationships that no one else can. You are building the ship that other people are sailing. And for so many of us, years pass where we're doing all of the stuff that other people can do and not doing only the things that we can do. Has it been hard to sit in that role and not say, oh, well, I'll pick up this shift or this person called in sick, so I'll do a few hours behind the bar? It was initially. No, there's no getting around that. There's that. When I was behind a bar, I suppose that's counteracts what you say about humility, but when I was behind the bar, I felt invincible. I knew that I was amongst the very best when I was behind the bar. I, I knew I could I knew it. I could see I could feel the way people were. I imagine it's the same when there's a, a quarterback or a, you can feel that energy of people looking at you. So I could feel that. And when you're moving into this ownership role that you're talking about, all of those concepts you just talked about are very abstract. They're not sure. like you can't. There's no tangible. You don't wake up one day and go, oh, fuck, the ship's built my job's done, I can move, like, and that never happens. There's just a whole different feeling to that. So there definitely was moments where you're like, oh, I'll hit the default setting and I'll take that drug, like that, it's not a drug, but like, you know what I mean? Going behind the bar, being the expediter and feeling that buzz of, I totally get this. But over time, it, it dissipated. And I knew, like, as, as I got more confident in, in, as you say, working on the business instead of in the business, I became much more confident because I could see a lot of these things took years to build and, and they still take years to build, but you could see slowly but surely, day by day, incremental improvement and things really moving, like the needle starting to move for the business. So much so now that like I never think about bartending, never even enters my head. That's not my function in this company. If somebody phones in sick, we have a director of operations, we've a beverage director, we've a very talented leadership team. I don't worry about those things. I never hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. I want to focus on which is the strategy, the partnerships, the cultural components, the infrastructure, marketing effectiveness, leadership pipelines, locations, all of those, all of those other things, design. That's all of the stuff that I'm really focused on. So yes, originally, but now I, I never, because again, once you make that move and you see all that stuff that wasn't getting done at that, like your decisions made for you at that point, you know, you, you know, then that that's what the way you were doing things was never going to get you anywhere, you know? Let's talk about the Dead Rabbit brand. So it says something, like like two people, like I am somebody that drinks a Dead Rabbit. That is a brand that you have created that now represents something in the mind of people in the same way probably that somebody that chooses to happy hour at Applebee's for yeah. two for one mojitos. That says something <laughs> about who they are as a person, not judging either person. But how do you develop that brand? Obviously, the aesthetic within the bar is really strong. The iconography is 
very strong, but a lot of people have that. Yeah. So what is the Dead Rabbit brand? And what do you think it says to people? And how did you build that? So the Dead Rabbit brand has changed over time. We start out, as, as I said, to bring together our two loves, which were Irish pubs and cocktail bars. And that was on the back of the 2010s. And the cocktail bars that dominated back then were rules-heavy speakeasy bars. So what we really wanted to do was introduce, like show that world-class hospitality and egalitarianism or, or democracy, the democratic sort of drinking things, inclusiveness were symbiotic with world-class drinks. Those two things were not exclusive. Rather, they were inclusive. So when we built the Dead Rabbit, we wanted it to be very much in terms of position as like a world-class pub, a 21st century pub that tells this story of 19th century Irish and American cultures colliding. But that has developed over years and particularly the last year with the restructure and, and me and my business partner separating. The Dead Rabbit Nye represents the very tip of the spear of Irish culture, the very tip of the spear of what an Irish pub can and cannot be. It represents excellence. It represents great drinks. It represents all of the things that you would associate with Dead Rabbit. But to me, that's really what Dead Rabbit is. And for that, to bring that to life, you have to have, again, there's sliding scales of this. Like some of your listeners might be operating a, a neighborhood bar in, in Nebraska or something like that, where everything that we're building now is to build the infrastructure to scale a company and and to open dead rabbits in other cities again to change the conversation of and, and perceptions of irish pubs and irish culture because in this country leprechaunization i call it it's like it's a very fake it's not real it's not what's happening in ireland and i think consumers particularly american consumers they love authenticity they know authenticity when they see it and really what we're trying to do now is to showcase what contemporary Irish culture is and what an Irish pub is and what it can be. So building the infrastructure that facilitates that. So we have a creative agency in Belfast that work with us in, on the brand identity, the position in the copy, the social strategy, the digital side of things. We have a PR company that works with us on the traditional and non-traditional PR side of things. So we have all of this infrastructure in place to bring it all to life. But for a brand to become successful, you have to know, like the I love Simon Sinek's book. Um, it's start uh, with why. Start with why is the golden circle concept. So basically, yep. the why, the how, and the what. A lot of companies focus on their what's. You know, and you can see it as soon as you go on to uh, their Instagram bio. It's like we do cocktails or we do Guinness and we do all this stuff, and that's all great. But why do you exist? And making sure that that why is congruent with how you do things and what that looks like in terms for a customer. So that's the way that we operate. Our strategy and our reasoning permeates through every single aspect of the organization. It's very coherent. It's relevant. Everybody, if you come in, the Dead Rabbit knows what the Dead Rabbit stands for. So that's critical. It's critical that you have a clear understanding of who you are, why you are, what you're doing, what differentiates you as a company, and make sure that that's congruent. Because a lot of people say, we're this or we're that. And then you see the way that they operate on other platforms or what they do outside the, or even inside the business. There's no congruence either. And I think a lot of bars and restaurants now in, in particular, they need to be aware that the hospitality of their business doesn't, it's no longer confined to the four walls. It's directly related to how do you treat that, that guest who's reached out to you on Facebook Center running 15 minutes late how quickly do you respond to your events inquiries or if there's a merchandise slip up how do you deal like 
we do not compete in the four walls anymore. We're all competing out inside and outside, and you have to make sure that everything you do is coherent. So that to me is what builds a strong brand. Again, a brand is you have to be consistent, you have to be clear, you have to be concise, and you have like that. That's what it is. And Dead Rabbit has been that way, albeit the the strategy has changed significantly throughout the years. But everybody now that looks at Dead Rabbit knows exactly why we exist, how we do things, and what it looks like. I want to talk about the growth and the trajectory for the growth and all of that. But I, before we do, whenever you decide to grow, it's always this opportunity for a reflective time. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? What are we going to double down on? And what decisions will we never make again? I'm sure you've done that reflecting. And yeah. when you look at best practices, and I'm sure branding that we just covered is one of those things. But what else do you look at that you say, when we open the second one, these are the three things that we're definitely going to do to get this job done. Yeah, so, I mean, the brand is critical. You've got to know what the company stands for, what you're doing, all of that stuff that we already touched on. The cultural component is huge. So how does your culture operate? What are the standard behaviors or standard bearers that you want as you scale the company? So for us, that is represented by our acronym of BEST. So being brilliant, being evolving. So we want people who are growth-minded, who are constantly wanting to develop themselves. We want people who are service-oriented, so focused on hospitality. And we want people who are transparent. So we are a very communicative organization. We want people to let us know what's going right. Let us know what's going wrong. We're going to hold people accountable to our standards too. So, But the transparency and trust component of that is key. That's the cement that brings everything together. So that's the cultural side of things. In terms of the key success factors for the actual operation, a lot of this stuff we really looked at when the pandemic happened because we had that time to really get granular and deep with the data and the extrapolate insights from the data. So what we call our facts are what I would say are the core pillars from a customer side of things. So food is huge at Dead Rabbit. A lot of people come, to, like pubs are, again, symbiotic with shit food. We have excellent food. We don't use microwaves. We Everything's fresh. The fries are homemade. The breads are homemade. We really make sure that we do those 15 to 20 items really well. They love the authenticity. Obviously, when you come in, all the music is Irish. It's not like diddly D Irish. It's representative of all the genres that are that are back home. The walls are all of the artwork is from contemporary photographers, printmakers, artists, the furniture, some of the furniture is from back home. Some of the lights are from back home. We make sure to shine a light on Ireland, contemporary Ireland, as much as possible through our partnerships. Cocktails are huge. Obviously, we spoke about that. So making sure that we're constantly coming up with cutting edge drinks that are inclusive of the liberation of Irish spirits. The trifecta. So our trifecta is our best in class serves of a pint of Guinness and Irish coffee or Irish coffees and our Irish spirits and Irish whiskey selection. So there are three big things we go into. And then the last thing being speed. I detest going into cocktail bars because like if it's a speakeasy 15 seat, 20 seat bar, I know I'm waiting 10 to 15 minutes for a drink. One thing I love about the Amazonization, if you will, of, of things is people don't like the wait. I have never liked the wait, but people are definitely that way inclined now. They want low effort experiences high level experiences but certainly low effort so making sure that we're doing all of those other pillars well but also making sure that we're doing things quickly 
So that's that side of things. And then in terms of other things that, again, the pandemic, we really looked hard. I really looked hard at everything that we were doing that were congruent with that and then killed everything else that didn't make sense. Or so like we spent a ton of money on merchandise. A lot of our branding was very male, toxic masculinity type forward, like this strong rabbit man character. There was just a lot of things that we weren't doing. A lot of the art even in the bar wasn't speak didn't speak to contemporary Ireland. So a lot of that stuff that focusing on those key success factors, focusing on the cultural side of things, focusing on who we are as an organization. And then after that, it's just like making sure we got rid of anything that wasn't speaking to that and then doubling down on anything that we done well there. So even in the culture side of things, the four barriers, as far as I can see it, for us to be successful as we grow this company is leadership, the culture, marketing effective and then scalable infrastructure. So making sure that all of those things are super strong and that they deliver, like we can successfully leverage all of those things that, that we do really well and, and, and scale with integrity and excellence and not dilute what we're about. So that's really, listen, I'd rather not have went through the pandemic because I'm sure you're the same, but I'm very happy that we were afforded that space because we have come out of it much stronger than when, when the pandemic happened. So now let's talk about growth. Yeah. So before I owned a bar, there's nothing in the world that I wanted more than to own a bar. <laughs> and then once I owned a bar, the only thing I wanted more was to own two bars and three bars. You've had ample opportunity to grow over the years and you've chosen not to. So one of two things is true. Either you view growth differently than, let's say, the average bar owner or restaurateur, or you have a different plan. Which one is it? And now that you are positioned for growth, what triggered that? So we did scale. We did open another bar that was not Dead Rabbit right beside us called Blacktail. And it was a beautiful bar, but it was a Cuban bar. And there is a synergy between Ireland and Cuba from the customer minds of like in Ireland. Irish people understand that like both island nations, both perceived to be oppressed and all of that type of stuff without getting too political. But to Americans, they're like, what the fuck are Irish guys <laughs> operating in a Cuban bar? And that, listen, that makes sense. When you look at it through that lens, it makes total sense. And to be perfectly honest, it was my business partner at the time who was very, was all in on the Cuban concept. I love Cuba as a country. I, I like going to the place and the people and the, the beauty of the place. Like I, I love that. Not necessarily the politics of the place, but certainly the place itself is a, is a beautiful place. But that being said, it doesn't get me up in the morning. Think I don't think when I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about Cuban culture. I'm thinking about Ireland. I'm thinking about like how do we move the needle for all the goals that I've I've spoken to you at length about. And when we opened that, that's really what again that opened right as I got sober. It opened right as I met Sean Finter, and it sort of laid bare the fact of like we did. There was a lot of these things that we didn't have in place. So when we closed that a couple of years later, and I really went into a period of deep introspection it's very easy to walk away from these things like oh, i had a shit business partner or the location wasn't competitive or or all of these things and there's validity i suppose in, in all of those excuses but ultimately i agreed to that i looked at it like i'm responsible for every one of my decisions and i really looked at all the logic and all the criteria that i was using and i walked away from that with a couple of key insights basically stick to the knitting in terms of like my sandbox is Ireland. That is my sandbox. 
I do not care about any other sandbox. And I'm on a bicycle about that. Like I do not like if it doesn't speak to something that I'm interested in in this box, I'm not interested in it, which was key. So focusing on Dead Rabbit, focusing on other concepts in the Irish sort of narrative that makes sense in different ways, which we're going to add in, in due course. And then the other big location was huge. We took on a site that was not competitive location-wise. My philosophy back then is if you build it, they'll come. That only goes so far. You know, it's location is important. And this whole mindset, if you put something great in a shit location, sometimes it works, but more often than not, it doesn't work. And that's just the reality of it. So location is important. But one of the biggest things I walked away from was infrastructure, systems, standard operating procedures, processes, all of that type of stuff. And that's really what I've doubled down on now. So I've resolutely focused on Ireland. I want to make sure that the locations we pick are competitive. And I want to make sure that we have got the right infrastructure in place to facilitate our growth. In order, and the thing in terms of what triggered the want for growing and scaling the dead rabbit and the other concepts that we do. I feel ready now as an operator to do that, as a business person to do that. I, As I said, I read all these books from other people who have done this and I'm constantly looking at everything that's going on. I believe in my ability to say, if I'm doing something wrong, acknowledging it quick and then finding the right answer, find the right person who can give me the answer. I also think that all these other people who have achieved this are not any smarter than me or you. So if they can do it, I can do it. I apply that same logic to having kids or doing anything that's like slightly uncomfortable. But I'd say the biggest thing that's driving it is the fact that there's so many shit Irish bars in America. And there's such a, a lot of people think they know what Irish culture is. It's not actually what it is. So I think I've got an obligation to do this from a mission perspective. I feel like a lot of people get bigger for growth's sake. They just want more and more and more. My thing is like, I think we have an amazing opportunity to do something that's going to really change the conversation for Ireland and Irish culture. So I, that, I'm approaching that side of it completely different. And the underbelly of that I'm approaching with a systems design like lens, because ultimately these are all systems. And and I think the, the, the companies that win are, are the ones that build the best systems. So that's like making sure that we've got a strong company, strong culture, strong infrastructure, strong leadership, strong marketing that supports that big, all-encompassing uh, goal. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Yeah, I think that's huge. We actually just had a panel at the bar last year as part of our 10th anniversary celebrations, and it's basically about what we would like to see happen in the next 10 years. And for me, I would love to see the industry begin to internalize some of our negative externalities. So like the pervasiveness of a lack of insurance for people in our industry, sub-minimum wages, toxic cultures, toxic bosses, the way the industry is perceived, this whole customer's always right bullshit. There's a lot of real dark underbelly stuff in this industry that we need to address in order to professionalize the industry, in order to make everybody recently, it's, it's, well, it still happens, but everybody's like, you can't get staff anymore because of it was Joe Biden's stimulus. And now it's just people don't want to work in the industry anymore or whatever. You've got to look inwards for that. People didn't come back to the hospitality industry because they were let go. One day, 
Like our industry was closed in a couple of days and everybody was fired in a couple of days. That's not good enough. That's not good enough that we don't pay health insurance for people or they don't have health insurance. A lot of uh, the way that bars are ran with these drinking cultures and sexual harassment and all of these big, big problems, you can look to the government and say that's a government problem. But I, my whole philosophy is like, you've got to deal with that in your own house. And hopefully that spreads that way. So we are definitely being part of that conversation in terms of how do we do that as a company so that we grow, we can be a, like, we already are a, a fantastic place to work for our team members, but how do we double down on that? How do we develop that? So if I'm having this conversation in 10 years, I'd love to think that there's healthcare for everybody. There's mental health access for everybody. The cultures are much more professional, cleaner. There's a much better perception or treatment of customers to industry professionals. We change the pricing structure. Like a lot of these people are operating on razor thin margins because customers are demanding us. Sometimes you've just got to charge what it is. And and if we're all doing it, we're all pulling in the same direction, then we're all going to figure it out. Do you know? So I would like to see much more collectivism on that side because this whole happy hours and half off and, and this type of stuff, you're doing this stuff from a position of weakness, a position of you're not taking care of your team. That's not the way we're going to operate. And we're going to be very vocal in that. So that's where I'd love to see the industry go because I think we've got huge, huge problems. Well, huge problems, but conversely, huge opportunities for the next generation. I always believe in leaving everything better than when you found it, be that your bedroom or be that your office or, or be that your industry. So my goal is when I'm sitting on my deathbed, knowing that I've done everything that I can to make our industry better. That's Jack McGarry. For more information on The Dead Rabbit, visit thedeadrabbit.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.